Biden can't get no transition briefing, Trump can't get no judges, and Georgia can't get enough runoff attention. If you can't get enough of the political junkie, you've come to the right place. You like Ike, I like Ike, everybody likes Ike for president. Add Ike to you, add Ike to me, I don't care how you quote it. Come on and vote for Kennedy, vote for Kennedy, and we'll come out on top. Vote for Richard Nixon and Henry Cabot Lodge, cause they're the ones to lead the USA. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to episode 352 of The Political Junkie. I'm Ken Rudin. It's one thing to run an ugly campaign. That seems to be the norm these days, and one party doesn't have a monopoly on it. It's another to try and tamper with the results. That seems to be what Donald Trump and his minions have been trying to do in courts around the country. Argue against questionable votes that didn't go his way? Sure, why not? but try to overturn the will of the voters, subvert an election? Nobody's tried that before, and that is upsetting and troubling. It's no surprise that Trump, having lost, will not go quietly. Former Trump fixer Michael Cohn said to Jane Mayer of The New Yorker not long before the election, quote, he will not concede, never, ever, ever, I believe he's going to challenge the validity of the vote in each and every state he loses, claiming ballot fraud, seeking to undermine the process, and invalidate it. Cohn went on to say, he'll blame everyone except for himself. Every day he'll rant and rave and yell and scream about how they stole the presidency from him. He'll say he won by millions and millions of ballots, and they cheated with votes from dead people and people who weren't born yet. He'll tell all sorts of lies and activate his militias. And that's exactly what's happening. Rudy Giuliani, Trump's personal lawyer who was leading the effort to overturn the election, held a press conference, this time not at the Four Seasons, but at the RNC. And he came up with concoctions and fantasies that made very little sense. Much of the media focus was on the stream of what appeared to be black hair dye that was dripping down Giuliani's cheeks, but what came out of his mouth was far more fascinating, as well as dangerous, and a little crazy as well. Joe Biden is in the lead because of the fraudulent ballots, the illegal ballots that were produced and that were allowed to be used after the election was over. Give us an opportunity to prove it in court, and we will. You couldn't possibly believe that the company counting our vote with control over our vote is owned by two Venezuelans who were allies of Chavez, are present allies of Maduro, with a company whose chairman is a close associate and business partner of George Soros, the biggest donor to the Democrat Party, the biggest donor to Antifa, and the biggest donor to Black Lives Matter. I know crimes, I can smell them. The hour-plus briefing was filled with conspiracy theories, but no facts. Another one of Trump's lawyers who was at that conference, Sidney Powell, early had talked to Fox News' Lou Dobbs. Well, for fraud this serious, I think even if the states are stupid enough to go ahead and certify the votes where we know the machines were operating and producing altered election results, 
if they're stupid enough to do that, then they will be set aside by the fraud also. I mean, we are talking about hundreds of thousands of votes. President Trump won this election in a landslide. It's going to be irrefutable. And we are, patriots are coming forward all, every day, all day, faster than we can collect their information with the testimony they're willing to give under oath about how their votes were stolen. Cindy, at the outset of this broadcast, I said that this is the culmination of what has been a, over a four-year effort to overthrow this president, to first deny his candidacy uh, uh, the uh, election, but then uh, to overthrow his presidency. This looks like the effort to uh, to carry out an end game in the in the effort against him. Uh, do you concur? Oh, absolutely, and it's uh, it's been. Uh, organized and, and conducted with the help of Silicon Valley people, the, the big tech companies, the social media companies, and even the media companies. Judges have already thrown out Giuliani's arguments in Georgia and Pennsylvania. By most accounts, the election seems to have run with far fewer mishaps and controversies than usual. And when Chris Krebs, the Department of Homeland Security official in charge of election cybersecurity, when he said that the 2020 vote was held fairly, guess what? Trump fired him. But Trump took his tactics one step further by contacting Republican state election officials, as he apparently did in Michigan, to have them not certify the election results, to summon Republican state legislative leaders, as he's also done with Michigan lawmakers, to the White House to plot strategy with the apparent goal to hold up election certification, which would then, according to this theory, lead these Republicans to put together their own slate of electors in time to vote on December 14th, the deadline for the Electoral College to tally up the vote. It seems like this coup attempt is failing. Even the Michigan lawmakers said they saw no avenue for Biden being denied the win. Remember, we're not even talking about a handful of votes. Joe Biden won Michigan by 157,000 votes. A plot to obviate that margin and give the state to Trump would be nothing less than a subversion of democracy never seen before in American history. Watching one judge after another throw out the Trump-slash-Giuliani arguments, one gets the feeling that American democracy will be safe, for now. But the fact that it's being attempted, and by a sitting president of the United States, that is tragic. Meanwhile, the partisan divide over wearing a mask continues as the COVID virus is rapidly picking up with more infections and more deaths. A key Trump nominee was defeated in a recent Senate vote because Republicans Chuck Grassley and Rick Scott were quarantining after having tested positive. This back and forth between Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio, who was wearing a mask, and the Republican presiding officer, Alaska's Dan Sullivan, who wasn't, was indicative of the divide. President. Senator from Ohio. I'd start by asking the presiding officer to please wear a mask as he speaks, and people below him are, I can't tell you what to do, but I know that the behavior I don't wear a mask when I'm speaking, like most senators. Well, I, most senators. So I'll, I'll put it back on, but 
I don't need your instruction from. Anyone. I know you don't need my instruction, but I, there clearly isn't much interest in this body in public health. We have a president who hasn't shown up at the coronavirus task force meeting in months. We have a majority leader that calls us back here to vote on an unqualified nominee and, and at the same time to vote for judge after judge after judge, exposing all the people who can't say anything, I understand, the people in front of you and the presiding officer, and expose all the staff here, and the, the majority leader just doesn't seem to care. By the looks of things, it's going to be a grim couple of months with infections and deaths rapidly increasing. The vaccine cannot come soon enough, not only for the health of the country, but the sanity as well. Watching and waiting for someone to understand. the wait was 36 days. That was the time between the day of the election and when Al Gore conceded to George W. Bush. This time, the wait will be even longer, 63 days. That will be the time between the day of the election and when we'll find out which party controls the U.S. Senate. Georgia's two Senate seats were both up this year, one a regularly scheduled election and the other a special election in the aftermath of Johnny Isaacson's resignation. Senator David Perdue led his Democratic opponent, John Ossoff, by 86,000 votes, but his total was 49.7%, below the 50% required by state law to avoid a runoff. The other senator, Kelly Leffler, appointed to fill the Isaacson seat, didn't come close to a majority in the multi-candidate field, and she too will be forced into a runoff with Democrat Raphael Warnock. The two runoffs to be held January 5th are only part of Georgia's fascinating story, which also involves Republican intraparty feuding, charges of unethical vote counting interference, and shock over a state that voted for a Democratic presidential candidate for the first time in nearly 30 years. And so we turn to Jim Galloway, the esteemed longtime political columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Jim, it's great having you back on The Political Junkie. Yeah, it's it's fun to be here. Uh, it it is it has been one heck of a season, and it's not over yet, right? Not at all. And the whole world, you know, the, we always we always said this about Florida in two thousand. The whole world is watching. Well, the whole world is watching Georgia. Right, right, and 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 we're kind of still in that hanging uh, hanging Chad phase, aren't we? Except with no 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 Chads. No, although although it looks like some Republicans are willing to hang other Republicans. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty uh, that's pretty intense. I, I will tell you what this is. This is by far the most uh, the oddest election of my career, and I'm 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 I'm, I'm get, getting ready to retire after forty one forty one years, and it, this is just. I've never seen anything like it. I don't have anything to compare it to. I was just saying, you go back to like Walter George, right? Uh, well, yeah, when I was a whippersnapper, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know something? I mean, I can't begin to imagine the amount of money 
that's going to be pouring into Georgia for the next six plus weeks. Have the have the airwaves been blanketed with ads yet? Not not quite. I mean, they're they're a presence, but they're not. They're kind of a a, a level or two down from what they were on November second. Uh, the estimate is there's going to be a half a billion dollars spent in Georgia hmm. on this. It's just you uh, you just kick yourself for not investing in a TV station at this point. We're owning one, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and, and so it's it's there's so, just so many angles to this. You know, there's the fact that this these two Senate races are being driven by the fact that President Trump won't concede. There is the uh, the news that, as you said, for the first time since since 1992, Georgia selected a, a a Democrat in the presidential contest, and then then there's the uh, the cannibalization of, of the Georgia GOP. Well, I want to go into all of those, and let's let's go start by uh, one by one. First of all, let me just talk about. I mean, this this ad was prior to the runoff, but but let me just play how nasty uh, two back to back ads that I think will show how nasty it is. I'm going to play one commercial run by Warnock and, and then a rapid response follow-up by Leffler's campaign. Raphael Warnock eats pizza with a fork and knife. Raphael Warnock once stepped on a crack in the sidewalk. Raphael Warnock even hates puppies. Get ready, Georgia. The negative ads are coming. Kelly Leffler doesn't want to talk about why she's for getting rid of health care in the middle of a pandemic, so she's going to try and scare you with lies about me. I'm Raphael Warnock, and I approve this message because I'm staying focused on what Washington could do for you. And by the way, I love puppies. Meet Raphael Warnock. He wants you to know he eats pizza with a fork and a knife. He once stepped on a crack in the sidewalk. But Georgians don't care about that. Georgians care that Raphael Warnock was a proud defender of anti-American, anti-Semitic pastor Jeremiah Wright who suggested America deserved the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Not God bless America, God damn America! We celebrate uh, Reverend Wright. Warnock said law enforcement officers are gangsters and thugs and a danger to children. He's anti-Israel, anti-Second Amendment, sympathizes with Marxists and socialists, and wants to make your neighborhoods less safe. Don't let him fool you with pizza and puppies. Raphael Warnock is too extreme for Georgia. What you, what you just heard, that's going to be the, the gentle sound of politicking over the next five weeks. It's going to get very, very rugged. The, the, the Leffler campaign is going to be trying to paint uh, Raphael Warnock, who is the pastor of the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, formerly pastored by Martin Luther King Jr. and Sr. at the same time. It is, you know, it, it's it's an institution. She is going to paint him as a Jeremiah Wright radical uh, preacher. And, you know, there are words you can pull out here or there in any sermon and kind of make your case. The other part of that they're going after is, of course, is, like you said, is, is the support for Israel. You know, that's, that's, that's considered a weak spot for Warnock, especially among uh, Republican voters. You have to say that... Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the temple bombing of Atlanta uh, in Atlanta back in '58 with with the uh, KKK bomb that that hit the most prestigious synagogue in Atlanta. Uh, Peter Berg is now uh, the rabbi there. He and Warnock are are really good friends. They're tight, and so you can you you can expect the Jewish community in, in Atlanta in a, in large part to come to Warnock's defense, which would be it's kind of reflective of of, of the 1960s South, if you will, the civil rights movement back in then. I don't forget that um, the two Democrats running, uh, Asaf and Warnock, are 
respectively, Jewish and African American. Exactly. Right. So, so you know, it's it's an interesting, it's a, a very interesting pairing. That if you're, you know, if you're if you're if you're in your twenties and thirties uh, and and a voter in Georgia, you just don't, you don't realize the history that's behind that. Now, there's also critic criticism of Leffler as well in that. Um, I mean, first of all, a lot of Republicans don't like the way she was appointed. Brian Kemp appointed her to fill um, uh, Johnny Isaacson's seat when many Republicans, including President Trump, wanted the governor to pick Doug Collins, who finished third in that free-for-all primary. So I don't know how united the Republicans are behind her either. Yeah, it, there is some making up to do, and, and, and Trump isn't making it easy. In addition to going after Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, who's in charge of the, the of the uh, Republican, who's in charge of the of of our election uh, machine, he's going after Brian Kemp too. Uh, he uh, on the uh, on the mistaken assumption that Kemp has something to do with the election now that he's governor, he he actually does not. You know, it's it's kind of a a, a carryover from last year when Trump wanted uh, Collins in that in that uh, Senate seat and Kemp chose Leffler. When you see both Purdue and Leffler calling for Raffensperger to resign because he mishandled the count, and of course by mishandling it, it means he's saying that it worked fairly, which is against what Trump was saying. I mean, that's just remarkable to hear the top two Republicans, the two Republican senators, calling for Raffensperger to resign. Uh, when, who had the temerity to say it was a fair election? But that's remarkable. They're the ones who started the stampede. You know, that's that's what's that's what's strange. And and the only thing I mean, the kindest interpretation I can give it is that they felt that they might be blackmailed by Trump if they didn't come out and didn't come out strongly. Then uh, then Trump would would uh, would send out a, a tweet criticizing one or the other or withholding his uh, fan base support. You know, maybe maybe refusing to do any rallies down here between now and January five. I suppose that they felt that they needed to do that, his bidding to, to keep his supporters with them. So it's, that's going to be a, an interesting dynamic that's going to play out over the next year. Now, it, that, that's going to extend well beyond January 5, I think. You know, there's been some discussion about whether Trump comes in and campaigns uh, in the runoffs. Do you think that'll happen? And is that a good idea? I, I, you know, I, I, at this point, I don't think it's a bad idea, simply because if you're anti-Trump at this point, it, it, it's, that's not going to move the needle. It, a runoff is all about getting your, the, the, the people who voted for you on November 3rd out again. You know, it's, you're not trying to persuade anybody anymore. So as, as, as a tool to rally the base, yes. Uh, it, it, I think it would probably be a, a pretty good idea. I think everybody, uh, both Leffler and Purdue would want that. Uh, on the other hand, on the Democratic side, what's interesting is you've got Georgia Democrats down here saying, uh, yeah, Biden, if you want to come down here, that's not bad. But we would really prefer Barack Obama because you're talking about your African-American base, trying to get them out. You know, what's fascinating, and there's so many fascinating, I think I've used, I'm going to use the word fascinating 7,000 times in our conversation. But one of the fascinating things is, wasn't Raffensperger um, basically attacked by many Democrats uh, with claims about voter suppression, and he himself attacked the efforts of Stacey Abrams? I mean, oh, 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 yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He and uh, I mean, uh, he, uh, Raffensperger came to office uh, with the 2018 election, and he has kind of picked up the the, the fight uh, against Abrams and her Fair Fight Action Group. Uh, it, it's not quite as vitriolic as it was against Kemp. 
And actually, they, the Abrams group said nice things about Raffensperger when he mailed out all those uh, absentee ballot applications at the outset of the pandemic for, the, for our June 9 primary. And, and what is Lindsey Graham doing? Apparently, he called Raffensperger to talk about maybe getting some certain ballots disqualified, something like that? Well, what he was asking, what he was asking Raffensperger was, and, and uh, Raffensperger in kind of interpreted it as, a, as advice or as a suggestion. When you submit an absentee ballot, you have to have your, have your signature on the outside of the envelope, right? And that signature is matched against the one they have on file. And if it doesn't match or it doesn't come close, then you know you're, you're, that, that ballot is placed in a certain stack. The voter is supposed to be contacted so you know so they could they can cure it if if they need to. What Graham was asking for was 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 asking Raffensperger whether, say, uh, we have 159 counties. If you had one county or two counties with a whole lot of mismatched signatures, could you just dismiss all of the absentee ballots? From that county, all of them, all of them, all of them. Here, here's why uh, Raffensperger uh, interpreted that the way he did, because that was one of the requests made in the in, in a Trump lawsuit filed in Michigan. That was one of the, their demands, and it was thrown out in Michigan, wasn't it? It was, and it was thrown out in Michigan. I, I was one of the first to sit, first to sit down with him right after after uh, Purdue and Leffler came after him, and he he just simply said, "Look, you know." He had his own soul to take care of, and he wasn't going to do anything. He's he's a numbers man. This is this this is a guy with an engineering degree. He has an engineering background. You know, if the numbers don't add up, they don't add up. And, you know, and and he has told me several times. You know that you know he wishes Trump. Uh, he, he wants Trump to win. He wants Trump to be reelected. But if he's going to do it, he's going to have to do it honestly. I just think it's just something that. For, you know, for Republicans to be talking about a stolen election when, you know, when the Republicans led by Brian Kemp, when he was secretary of state, uh, apparently did everything they could to suppress Democratic votes. That's what that's the great irony in this. Uh, right. And well, OK, here, here's oh, you know, oh, there's so much irony. I mean, it, this this thing is just dripping with irony. OK, so the, the last few days, you know, of course, Trump has been going after our voting machines. Uh, Dominion Voting, that company, uh, made our machines. We we installed, oh, what, uh, tens of thousands of them this year. I mean, it was it was the biggest mass purchase of voting machines in the nation ever, because we were replacing an old set that had been put in place by uh, by Democrats in 2002. Trump has been going after Dominion Voting. Well, I mean, the voting machine process. I mean, that was that was a Republican project here in Georgia. You know, there was Democrats actually opposed it. They want they they wanted to go to hand hand uh, handwritten ballots, uh, which is what Trump is asking for. I mean, we look. Republicans have to know that if they lose both seats, they become the minority party in the Senate. I would imagine that if nothing else, that would unite them behind uh, Purdue and Leffler. Right, right, and this is why Democrats are are running Warnock and Ossoff as a ticket, because they they know that just one victory here doesn't do them any good. They need to push both of them across the finish line. With uh, Leffler and Purdue are run, also running as a team, but it, uh, as something less connected, and because they know if one wins and one loses, Republicans still hold the Senate. Hypothetically, or at least on paper, Democrats could win both. Will they win both? It's it's a it's a it's a very heavy lift. Republicans have an incredible 
track record when it comes to winning runoffs. There may be a PSC race in there, a public service commission race in there that they that they pulled off since since 1992. But everything else, everything else, Republicans have swept, and and it's because they're of course their voters are are older, they're more habitual, they don't have to be actually driven to to the polls in, in in great numbers. And and remember, I mean, Democrats had a hard time reaching out to voters because of COVID this year. Their voters, you know, aren't all online. They're not all accessible by text or uh, social media. And they're not going to maskless, maskless rallies. No, no, so far not. No, there have been some who have said that, that Democrats need to rethink that, but so far, no. <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned perhaps Barack Obama coming down to the campaign. Uh, there's also the possibility of uh, Kamala Harris and of course, is Stacey Abrams. I mean, if you want to energize the African American vote. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Kamala Harris and 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 Abrams. That would be uh, an inspiring ticket, I think, uh, to bring down here to push voters to the poll. And then I'm sure that's what you're going to see. The problem, of course, is you know this is a campaign that stretches across Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. So how do you you know just holding people's attention is going to be incredibly expensive. And of course, while we have a long ways to go, will Governor Kemp or you know, or Secretary of State Raffensperger have a problem in 2022 because of the perception that they crossed Trump? I think Raffensperger already knows that he's 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 done for. I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I, I would be surprised if he runs for re-election. Uh, but that means, of course, you'll have a uh, you'll have a relatively neutral party running the 2022 uh, 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 elections in Georgia. When, when the governorship will be at stake and when Stacey Abrams will be run, trying, to, trying for a rematch with Kemp. And, and as well as the, the, uh, the winner of the Leffler-Warnock race, right? Exactly, yeah, because that race, because yes, yes, yes. One reason they chose Leffler was because she is so rich and she can afford two back-to-back, uh, or actually three, three elections. I mean, she's had this first one on November 3rd. She'll have the runoff. And if she's successful there, she'll have to run again in 2022 for the complete term, the complete six-year term. And what advice would you give voters other than saying, do not turn on your TV for the next 60 days? Uh, I guess just bear, you know, suck it up and, and, and vote as early as you can and, uh, and get it over with. That's, I think that's, that, that's probably going to be the primary strategy on both sides. Jim Galloway is the political columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and has been with the paper for more than 40 years. Jim, it's great having you on the program. Oh, it's fun to be back again. Let's do it again. Thank you so much. Georgia. Georgia. The whole day through. Just an old sweet song. Keeps Georgia on my mind. Georgia on my mind. I said, Georgia. That's it for this week's show. Don't forget, you can always find my political blogs, trivia questions, and the Political Junkie store, all at krpoliticaljunkie.com. If you've got comments, questions, or complaints, Send an email to Ken at krpoliticaljunkie.com. You can also tweet me at Ken Rudin or shoot me a message on the show's Facebook page. 
And you can follow my button of the day on Instagram at The Political Junkie. Political Junkie is made possible thanks to the support of our listeners and donors. Your generous contributions are most appreciated. Keep them coming at krpoliticaljunkie.com slash donate. I'm Ken Rudin. Thanks for listening. Have a safe Thanksgiving. And please don't forget the Ocean Spray Cranberry Sauce. I'll see you soon. I said Georgia. Oh, Georgia. No peace I find. Just an old sweet song. Keeps Georgia on my mind.